In this week's lesson, Sister Hannah Troxell continues the series on Ephesians with a lesson titled, Whose Prison Are You In? Aren't you glad for the grace and the love of Jesus? It really is a mystery. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, praise team. I'm going to be real honest and tell you, I studied for this lesson a couple different times, a couple different days. Well, I thought I was going to teach last week, so I was not like super prepared. I was just in time prepared. And then today I was sitting at my desk after school and I was just like, yeah, I'm a little too convicted to preach this. And I actually just said it out loud just to myself. I just felt the Lord say, good. So, good. Thank you, Brother Lopez, one more time for allowing me to come teach. Aren't you glad for such great leaders, Brother and Sister Lopez? Appreciate their time, their dedication, their prayers, their motivation to get us going. Um, my, I'm going to teach from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And my title, Brother Brzezinski, is, Whose Prison Are You In? And I'm going to grab my Bible from down here. We've got a lot of things going on up here, so let me just get situated. We've been talking out of Ephesians. We know it's written, from, written by Paul. And um, at this point, he's in prison, writing. Hence my title, Whose Prison Are You In? But let's go ahead and just start reading chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles... Paul starts out by saying, for this cause. He's referring to for having preached the doctrine, what he just talked about in Ephesians chapter 2. He's including the Gentiles into salvation is what he's talking about. And he says, for this cause, this is what I'm talking about. For this cause, for bringing the Gentiles into salvation, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. But here he is, he's in jail. And during the day, Paul could kind of move about with really strict supervision, but at night he was chained to a soldier to ensure he did not escape. And I'm researching this. I, he's in a Roman prison. I'm teaching about Rome to my middle schoolers, so I kind of find it a little interesting. I know it's probably a little nerdy, but um, it's pretty cool. So he's in here. He's in this prison. He's got chains at night, and it's really considered a shameful thing in these jails for you to be having chains on you which sounds a little embarrassing, so I guess I could see that. But here he is. He's at jail and chained at night. And while he was a prisoner and should feel ashamed in Rome, he wrote he was a prisoner to Jesus or bound to Jesus, in other words. He was recognizing that God was the Lord of his life, not the Roman government. In Rome, imprisonment was not on the list of legal penalties. In fact, only the accused prisoners had to wait a long time to be tried. So we think you did something wrong. Let's put you in jail until we decide. Thankfully, we don't exactly do things like that anymore here in the United States. Innocent until proven guilty. Is that, is that the right phrase? Okay. However, he's in prison, and I was researching it. It's like they dug this hole into the ground and kind of just like put you in there, and then you have a guard. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, being in jail. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Or he, so he is in the Roman prison. 
he was not he was not supposed to be there obviously we know that but they're kind of keeping him there <laughs> they're keeping him there until they decide if he is in fact guilty or not they would keep them there until the governor would go forth and decide should you really be there or not they would sometimes like paul's case keep them in prison for months or years without coming to trial this waiting period could cool off could cool off some situations, especially if the governor found himself in a difficult situation. Paul was stating, while I'm in here, while I'm in prison here, waiting, just waiting to find out what they're going to do with me. They could kill me, but they could let me go. So it's just this waiting time. Have you guys ever been put in like a waiting time? Not necessarily prison, but you're just waiting on the Lord to do something in your life. Because I feel like he constantly is putting me in these situations to wait. I teach middle school, so I'm constantly, every day, waiting on 54 middle schoolers to put away their paper and get out their book. Waiting. I feel like it happens all the time. But here Paul is in prison, in a shameful place. But he doesn't write about that. He says, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He, he, he actually doesn't mention right there that he's in prison to Rome. All he says, I'm a prisoner to the Lord. Paul was stating, while I'm in prison waiting, I'm recognizing my true binding is to the Lord. And we must make sure that we are allowing in whatever situations the Lord is putting us in, that we are still letting the Lord be the Lord of all. Because it really is Lord of all or not at all. We are actually not bound by our government. I'm pretty sure most of you in here would say our government is in a really scary place. So it's important that we know we're not bound by them. We might be bound in different circumstances as Paul was. He couldn't move freely. He was bound at night. But we are working for something higher, someone greater, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Paul's suffering was due to preaching, and yet he was consistent and faithful in his preaching. He, you're in jail because you preached. And he's like, that's okay, just give me a book, I'll write. I'll just keep preaching. I, I, I'll preach no matter what you do. But are we really willing to do that? When the Lord says, I'm going to put you in this situation to wait. Do we continue to wait or do we kind of put in our own hands and try to work with it, try to make our own situation come about? He was not looking for sympathy as he was writing to the church of Ephesus. He wanted them to know where I'm at. It's okay. It's for good. It's going to all work out. His imprisonment to the Lord meant something greater than his imprisonment to the Roman government. Paul adhered to Christ and Christ owned him. That's how he saw it. If we go on, we can read verse 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. He speaks of the dispensation of this grace given to him. He means as he was authorized and commissioned by God to deliver the doctrine of this gospel. To tell the Gentiles good news. This is for you. This is for everyone. God was relating to the Gentiles by his grace. 
Let's read verse three and four. How that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote a four in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Okay, he's referring back to Ephesians one. He's saying, hey, remember the prophets when they wrote about like something happening, there being like a Messiah, a savior. This is for everyone, not just the Jews. The Jews that walked with Jesus thought the Messiah's coming would bring a kingdom rule immediately, but they did not see the Gentiles' salvation would be included. By revelation, he made known. Paul was saying, hey guys, I didn't make this up. I'm over here in prison telling you about this. This isn't something easy for me to do. The mystery was not meaning something difficult to solve. The mystery was something that had not been revealed to every man before. The mystery was that God would become a man. The mystery was that that man would die for your sins. That the mystery was that he would not only die for the sins of the Jews, but for the sins of the Gentiles also. That he would come to seek and to save all that are lost, both Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, male and female, and that they were all made one in Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing about this mystery, the mystery being revealed. This was not something they knew before. Let's read verse five and six, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the spirits, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This was not something they knew before. Ages past, they didn't understand that God was becoming a man to save everyone on the earth. It's hard for me to imagine like God not saving the Gentiles because I feel so saved. So it's hard for me to imagine a Jewish person being like, no, that's not for you. Well, don't you, didn't you read like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It's all there. But they didn't understand it. So we have to come to the understanding of their misunderstanding. They didn't understand that God would save a Gentile. Oh, why would he do that? But the mystery of Christ is now made known. Jesus himself revealed the mystery of himself because God is always self-revealing. He said, John wrote Jesus's words, he that hath seen me hath seen the father. But he wasn't just revealing he was the Messiah. He was revealing that the Messiah was for every one. It's so difficult for me to fathom walking next to someone and saying, this gospel is it for you. But sometimes I wonder if we get that attitude a little bit. Like, uh, you don't really dress the right way, so you don't really belong in our group. Or you don't really talk like us, so you don't really belong here. Maybe you could fit in best somewhere else. So while it's hard for me to fathom, I also know, I wonder if we're like that. But Jesus, when he was here, in Matthew 8, he heals the centur centurion's servant. And in Mark 7, 
he heal, the lady comes to him and is asking, God, will you heal my demon-possessed daughter? And Jesus kind of dismisses her at first. And she says, but Lord, you know, even the dogs get the crumbs. And he says, okay, go away. Your daughter is healed this very hour. Jesus was revealing, hey, this isn't just because you have Jewish blood. This is for everyone. I came to seek and to save all that are lost. My friend Melinda Poitras at IBC, she said something kind of like this. And just in case you were wondering, it is the will of God for everyone to be saved. It's like, ugh, just kind of hit me. Yeah, just in case you were wondering. Now the Gentiles can be saved. You can be a partaker of the kingdom of God. And that's really good news for all of us in here, right? Right? Okay. Salvation is here. Deliverance and victory and power and healing, it's come. The Messiah has come for every one. Let's read verse 7 and 8. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul has this, I love his balance. He has such a humble boldness. He seems like he has like so much humility, but he's so bold at the same time. And I just wish that I could find that perfect balance. He says, I, I'm nothing special. It's only for the grace of God that I am a minister. It's only the grace of God that I can get up here. You see, because I know, Brother Lopez, where the Lord brought me from. I know the way my life was supposed to turn out. From a fatherless home, I know I'm not supposed to be teaching in young adults. That's not where everyone goes. But by the grace of God, that's what Paul's saying. I'm the least of these. I'm the lowest of the lows. I don't understand it. It's got to be the grace of God. It must be. Jesus, he came and saved me. God gave grace to the lowest of the lows. And then we know Paul writes, what is it, over half of the New Testament? Paul's opinion of himself is humble. What a privilege for the least of saints to have this opportunity to tell you this. Paul says, I, I really messed up before. I was persecuting, and, and, and now I get to come and, and tell all these Gentiles that their Redeemer is here? Hey, we, knew, we, we know you thought it was like a lost cause, but God came, and, and now you get to make it to heaven. So you, all of you, probably messed up and you failed, but there are a world of people that are hungry and crying out for help. How dare we let our insecurities and our faults and our mistakes get in the way of reaching the lost? Because if we were Paul, we might have said, oh, oh I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I can't because, because of this. I, I'm not outgoing enough. I'm too shy. I've done too many stupid things, as Brother Moody likes to use the word stupid, so I feel like I can use it. I'm too scared. I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough. I, I don't know enough about the Bible. But Paul said, wow, look how gracious God is. He saved me. What an awesome opportunity. Now I get to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus Christ. So you, young adults, go tell the Gentiles. Go to the world and tell the good news that the Messiah has come and that he has come for everyone. Yes. 
Let's go ahead and read verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. God had to become a man to die for our sins. He created all things by Jesus Christ. By meaning through, of times, of means, or for reason of. You see, God couldn't have created the world without a plan to come and die. I called my friend Erin Yancey this week and begged her to help me because she's extremely intelligent and she's probably going to listen to this podcast. So here is your shout out, Erin. God, when he's creating the world, knows that men are going to fall. He knows that. So while he's creating, Aaron says this to me, how much pain did God feel to create? And I just kind of sat there for a second. Like, you mean while he was creating, he was feeling pain? Because he knew they're going to mess this up and I'm going to have to come and I'm going to have to take those nails through my hands and I'm going to have to die. Because it's the only way I can have relationship with them. So in my mind, I'm thinking this, like, why would God just not create us? Like, why wouldn't he just not? Because he's that desperate for a relationship with you. But how many times do we wake up in the morning and ignore his very existence. I get convicted because in the first period of class, we're supposed to stand, say, say the pledge, and say our prayer, take attendance, and start class. And if I forget prayer, they're like, Sister Troxler, you forgot to pray. I'm like, oh, sorry. Just got the 12-year-olds reminding me to pray every morning. But how many times do we do that like in our walk with God. If I, if I make plans with you, I'm, I'm probably not going to cancel them because I'm going to feel like really bad about it and I'll think about it forever. So I'm going to try not to cancel those. But how many times do I make plans like, okay, God, I'm going to study tonight. And then like someone else is like, oh, you want to go here? We're all going to hang out. Do you want to come? Oh yeah, God, I'll just move our study date till later. I wonder if he feels that pain that he felt in creation every time we ignore him, every time we hit the snooze button and say, ah, just a few more minutes of sleep. I don't have time to pray this morning. Or when we lay down, we've all done it. Thank you, Lord, for this day. I just don't have enough time or strength or coffee to stay awake tonight. <laughs> but I wonder if he still feels that pain when we ignore him. Do you know how much he loves you? Loves you enough to create you and to still have you ignore him over and over again. But we know from the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. He, he already had it all planned out. He still did it. Let's go ahead and read verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. When it says 
to the intent that now, it, the intent meaning like for this end or this purpose, that the church would have wisdom, that this mystery would be revealed, that salvation was available to you, the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was God's plan from the beginning. He, he's not making this up as he goes. God is a planner, which I find really fascinating because sometimes I'm just like, uh, plans, I'll wing it. We'll see how it goes. But God is a planner. He's not winging it. He's not making it up as the days go by. You don't have to worry. He holds your world in his hands. He holds your plans and your dreams and your worries and your fears, anxieties, failures, accomplishments, goals in his hands. I take Eliana Ingram home Monday through Wednesday. And if you've talked to her, you know how exciting of a 20 minute drive that is for me. Every day she's like, let's sing a song. What song is on your heart? She loves singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I love it because she's five and she already knows he's got the whole world in his hands. And she's like, he's got my mommy and my daddy in his hands. And it's amazing because she's got, her mom is pregnant and having this difficult pregnancy. And she's like, he's got my baby sissy in his hands because she knows that the Lord is holding her in the palm of his hands. He knows where you're at. And while that's important for a five-year-old, that's important for a 25-year-old. Lord, I know that you know the way I take. You know where I'm at because you are in control. Verse 12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. We have access to the king of kings, the creator of the universe. But we must use that access to come boldly before the throne of God. Remember, we just read Paul was like, oh, I'm, I'm the least of all saints. So humble, but he's still saying, oh, but don't you know, we have access to God. How dare we say, oh, I can't, I can't pray. I, I, I can't go to the prayer downtown because, I mean, that's just, that's a little too risky. And, and it's a really bad part of town. So what if something really bad happens? Brother Graham preached at general conference and he said, I just really like this story, so I'm going to share it too. He said his grandpa was um, preaching at a, um, at a bar, like when his way before Brother Graham's time. His grandpa was preaching at this bar. And a guy comes by with a gun and says, listen, I had a praying grandma, so I'm going to let you go today. But tomorrow, if you're back, you're really messing up my drinking habits, and I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> so Brother Graham said, his grandpa leaned back in the chair and fell asleep as he's telling him this story. He's like, grandpa, grandpa, wake up. You got to finish the story. <laughs> so he wakes up, and he's like, boy, how's he going to threaten me with heaven? Of course I went back to pray. We kind of have to have that mindset. Like, how are you going to threaten me with heaven? How are you going to threaten me to walk through the fire knowing that my God is going to walk with me through the fire? How are you going to threaten me in a lion's den when I know my God could do anything to those lions? But Daniel, we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. 
We know God shut the lion's mouths. Yeah, I think Daniel had faith, but he didn't know if God was really going to do it. Just like in our circumstances. It's like, yeah, I, I got a little bit of faith, but Lord, are you really, are you, are you going to do it? Are you going to show up on time? Or am I going to be out here all by myself? God's saying, ah, just trust me. I've got your world in my hands. It would be unfair for us to leave it up to someone else to pray. We must pray. We must come boldly before the throne of God. Paul ends by saying, hey, don't worry about me. The suffering's going to be used for God, for his glory. Would we say that if we're in a prison, chained, feeling slightly ashamed? Would we write, hey, God's going to take care of it all. I'm just going to keep preaching, and you keep living for the Lord. Paul wrote while in prison he was a prisoner to the Lord, yet he refused to be defined by the prison he was in. I wonder if we refuse to be bound by the prisons we are in. Paul continued to preach, even though that's what put him in jail to begin with. So what is the prison of your life that has you so bound? Is that what identifies you or do you still say ah, I'm, a, I'm a prisoner of the Lord whose who's prison are you really in what does your prison look like have you really chosen to live a life above the bondage of sin have you chosen to live a life above the stress of every day or are you just so bound to it you can't really reach out to God and do something for him Paul was still in jail, but defined himself as bound to God. He had to keep sharing the mystery that God became a man. And that that man was the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. We, too, are called to be joint heirs, Paul says. But the heirs of this throne, just like Paul, have to have some kind of prison of suffering. Today, Cameron and Megan came to my geography class and talked about their trip to Spain. And afterwards, of course, we talked. And Cameron was telling me she heard this sermon from Nona Freeman. And I think it was when her daughter was in an accident. Um, I think I think she her daughter was in like a really bad car accident and Sister Freeman was reading the Bible and she was reading about the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. You know the song, you learned it in like two-year-old Sunday school class, right? And the rains came down and the floods came up. Thank you. The floods came up, right? And, and the wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up. And Sister Freeman said, you know, I realized something. The storm came to both houses. It didn't just pass by the one that was built on the rock. The rains came down on, on both houses and the floods came up on both houses. But the one that had a solid foundation was the one that stood firm. You are going to walk through a valley. You are going to be in a prison of sorts. But 
But what are you going to let define your life? Do you have a solid foundation, a grounding in Jesus every day, a dedication to his word, a dedication to prayer? Are you clinging to Jesus or are you just talking about the prison that's around you? Paul could have wrote all about the prison walls and all about how horrible the chains were that were maybe driving into his hands and his feet. Maybe he could have told about the horrible ground that he was in or how dark it was. But we don't read that. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for this cause, I have to tell somebody about Jesus. I have to tell somebody the good news. Even in jail, even in a difficult time. We have to decide to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Bind yourself to the cross. I want to be identified as a follower of Jesus. Someone that is just, I want to be a prisoner of Jesus. Not for my self-glory, but because when the winds of life do come, when the rains come down and the floods come up, I want to have my house built on solid ground. I told you I was so convicted. I literally said to the Lord, I'm too convicted to preach this. But I wonder if we could just not be convicted tonight. I don't want to just be convicted today. I want to carry this through my life. If the music would come. I want to know Jesus in a better way. I have to know him more than I know him right now. Everything that's going on in our world, it it kind of scares me with ISIS and diseases and rumors of war and all these things. It's like the end times. And here I am like, ah, let me post what I ate on Instagram. But is the Lord the Lord of your life? Are you letting him work through all of those tough times when you feel like you're bound by a prison. Paul decided, I'm in the Roman prison, but I'm going to be defined as a prisoner of the Lord. If we could all stand, I wonder whose prison are you in? What are you letting define you today. Brother Lopez, if you would please come.